0: So now I am going to welcome up Van. If you guys would join me in welcoming him, if you've noticed, the last few weeks, Van has been out and he is back now. Van and Lori are back. Uh, thanks, Amanda. Thanks, everyone. That's a nice, warm welcome. I appreciate it very much. Um, yeah, Lori and I have been out for about six weeks. We took a, what we call a sabbatical which is different from a vacation because it's longer and um, it's usually people who have jobs like I have where you kind of like live with it 24 hours a day, you come to a point where you need more than just a week off. And so that last time we did this was in 2009 and again now, but uh, probably ought to do this every couple of years, but it was really good and it's so good to be back with you today. Um, we're going to start right now by praying for a woman uh, from our church, Pam Otten, who has been struggling for the last six months. Uh, Well, not struggling in her faith. She's been trusting God and um, received a bad diagnosis six months or so ago and uh, has just really been contending for healing over the course of that time. Pam's husband, Joe, is right down here. And um, yeah, Pam's a wonderful woman of faith and confidence in God. And has has wanted to be healed not only because she wants to be healed because she wants God to be glorified, and just just she, her heart is do this in a way that everyone will know it is you, Jesus. And so, uh, last week they had surgery. Pam planned for Pam, and when they went into the surgery, they said it's just too pervasive. Uh, it's cancer. We can't take it out. Um, And from a medical perspective, and and she has great doctors. She has doctors that are compassionate and caring and uh, pray. But uh, from a medical perspective, the word was, there's nothing that can be done. Now, um, the way you deal with that is you don't deny it. You recognize that's the condition right now. That's what the doctors are saying. That's the reality. But Pam is still contending for healing. And that's different than denying the reality of the situation. It's not like she's just saying, Well, I, I have my healing. And no, we're contending for healing because Jesus gave us authority to heal. But healing is spiritual warfare, it's a battle. And, and we have to contend for healing. And so, I mean, there were people, there were other people in the Bible, there are people in the Bible who had a diagnosis that there's nothing that can be done like Lazarus. <laughs> Turned out okay for him, didn't it? Um, others, um, Tabitha in the book of Acts, she died. Peter Peter prayed for her. She came back. She rose from the dead. What we're going to do today, we're going to pray right now uh, for this to happen now, for the healing to happen, for the cancer to disappear, for 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 Pam to have years and years of healthy living where she can love her family and glorify God, okay? So um, she, yeah. And I'm, boy, I'm thankful you agree with that. This is why it is so important that we all come to hear Jim Baker because when he comes here, they are ahead of us in the whole healing thing. And because they've persevered in it and they've pressed through and they've, they've broken through some barriers that, that I want to see us break through. When he's here, he's not only going to deposit some of that with us, but because they've broken through those barriers, he's going to come here with spiritual authority. What really, under the leadership's blessing here, because we're inviting him here, he's going to exercise spiritual authority to call out of this church body some things that God's deposited here that we're not fully seeing yet. And so um, come come for that. But right now we're going to stand and and we're just going to raise our hearts in faith to God and we are going to pray for Pam. Now she's at Bethesda North, so Bethesda North would be that direction, all right? No, Danny, no. It's this direction. Okay, okay. All right, so turn and point your hand that direction, okay? All right. And... um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pray some things together, okay? Uh, Father God, we thank you for Pam. Thank you for your incredible love for her. Thank you for the godly woman she is. And thank you for how she has a heart to press into you, to know you better, to serve you, to love you. That her whole life has pointed in the direction of honoring and glorifying you. Thank you for that, Father. And thank you that you love her so immensely, so very much. Thank you. Father, uh, we, we want to just rise up, enter into the authority that you've given to the church body. Enter into the authority that you've given to us as believers in Christ and we speak healing over Pam right now. We speak health and wholeness over Pam right now. And uh, I'm going to say a few phrases and you can repeat them after me, okay? All right, we say to the cancer in, in Pam's body, be gone. Say that with me we say to the cancer in Pam's body, be gone. We curse you, cancer, in Jesus' name. We curse you, cancer, in Jesus' name. Cancer, you are an affront to the kingdom of God. Cancer, you are an affront to the kingdom of God. And as kingdom people, we take authority over you. As kingdom people, we take authority over you and we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Father God, bless Pam with health. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, thank you. All right. I just have a short joke for you, okay? Just a short joke. This guy, this man said that, uh, he said this, he said, my dog chased people on a bike. He said, it got so bad, I heard from the police so many times, I had to take the bike away from him. Okay, some of you will laugh at lunchtime. You'll be in the the middle of your meal, just bust out laughing because you'll get it then. All right, what I want to talk to you about today, I believe, is just a crucial issue in the Christian life. It's of such importance because it has to do with the heart and the conscience and and living with a free conscience. Because if you can't live with a free conscience, then you don't live in freedom. It's as simple as that. And I believe that many of us as Christians live in this sense of being heaven bound. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. But I'm not really experiencing any of heaven right now. I'm not experiencing heaven's joy or the kingdom of God's peace. And what I want to show you today is how to walk in a, in, in a greater joy and peace. You can put it that way. You can say it this way. How to walk with a good conscience. The passage we're going to look at today actually uses the term blameless. And so, and so that's close. It's almost synonymous with good conscience. So how to live blameless. How to live with a blameless heart. That's what we're going to talk about. And this all is going to unfold as we look through Psalm 19. And um, we're going to read that together in just a moment. I I think there are a couple key reasons that believers don't live with a blameless heart, a good conscience. And one of them is that we just flat out don't understand salvation. We think salvation is limited to some sort of a transactional event where I accept Jesus and God says, well, okay, now when you die, you get to come into heaven and that that's the extent of it. And, and if we don't understand what salvation is, then we don't understand our, our identity in Christ. And that's so crucial to know that when I received Jesus, more than, just, uh, more than just a transaction on the books of heaven took place. Something took place right here in me the Holy Spirit came into me and changed me. He gave me a new heart. He made me a new person, and he actually infused Christ's righteousness into me, so that I can say, no longer is my identity sinner. My identity now is righteous. My identity was sinner before I came to Christ. Now my identity is righteous because I have Christ's righteousness. Now, as you're going to see as we move through the message, that doesn't mean that I still don't sin, and, and that's kind of the rub here. And, and that's what we're going to talk about in, in, in how to live with a blameless heart or a clear conscience. But um, actually, this, we're not going to go any further into this part of the message because uh, I want you to take school of kingdom ministry if you haven't. And the reason, one of the key reasons to take the school of kingdom ministry is not because you learn how to prophesy there or you learn how to operate in the gifts of the spirit or how to pray for the sick. Really, for my thinking, the foundational reason to take school of kingdom ministry is you will come away understanding, first of all, the kingdom of God. And don't assume that you understand the kingdom of God. I'm still learning about the kingdom of God on a regular basis. I'm getting these new New, new revelations as to what the kingdom is you learn about the kingdom but the second thing that is so vital is and, and, and of such importance you learn what your identity in Christ is and that Sockham will blow your mind when I took Sockham I've got, I went through seminary I got just about all A's I would pastored for 35 years 30 years at least and I took Sockham and it blew my mind there were things that I suspected were true, and I'm hearing this gifted teacher teach on them, and it's kind of like, you know, just, wow. So take Sockham. It will change your life. I think the second thing, moving on, the second thing that makes it so hard for us to live with a clear conscience or, or to live with a, just a good, clean heart, a blameless heart, the second thing is our misunderstanding of how we are to relate to the Bible, of how we're to relate to the word of God. And I think so many Christians look at it like this. The Bible gives me the rules. I try to obey them throughout the day. Doggone it, I I just about never do. And then I end my day feeling defeated because I did not fully obey everything in the word of God. And I wanna say that's a wrong way to perceive your relationship with the Bible. And that's what we're gonna see today. That's what we're gonna focus on today. So we're going to read Psalm 19. It's going to come up on the screen, and we're going to read it together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and uh, we're going to read it out loud. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. All right. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. Knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. And all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And Father, we ask you now, reveal to us truth from this passage. Uh, we lift our hearts to you, we, our minds to you. We ask Holy Spirit, teach us. Give us deeper insight into who you are, who God is, who we are, In Jesus name, Amen. All right, thanks. It starts off this passage. You, you could look at this passage. You could say, boy, that really jumps around topic wise. You know, the heavens, the sun, the word of God, honey, gold, sin. Just you know, what's what's the guy thinking as he writes this? But there's really a flow to this whole chapter, and it starts off with uh, the author writing about the heavens. And he basically says, look, the heavens are something that created by God that reveals God's glory. And even though the heavens don't verbally speak, they do speak because they show us who God is. And when you look at the heavens and you look at the breadth of the sky and you, you see the, the countless stars, it's just an amazing thing to think that there is one being that created it all. It's an amazing thing to think that there's one person who with a word he spoke and it all came into existence and that he's bigger than all of that. It's just amazing to think of that. But you can tell by the thing created, you can learn things about the one that created it. And let's, let's do this. I have a couple pictures I want to show to you. The first one is by Picasso. Now, what do you, what do you learn about Picasso from this? I I think he was a weird dude. (laughs) I think there's something going on there that I don't quite get, but uh, I'm quite sure because the art experts tell us so. And by the way, I'd like to find one of these in my attic, wouldn't you, a a missing Picasso, boy. But uh, I look at that and I just think, wow, wonder what the heck was going on in that guy's mind because I can't identify with that. Let's look at the next one. Norman Rockwell. Now, what do you say about that? Some of you are going to say, yeah, that's cheesy. That's, that's that, the guy that painted that. What I look at that and see is I say, man, I like the idea of grandma and grandpa serving Thanksgiving dinner to the kids. That's just sweet. To me, I, I resonate with that. But you can see things from the thing created. You can see things about the creator in them. Now, let's look at the next picture. Um, look at that. Wow. Wow. Look at the Milky Way going up. up. This this guy is somewhere in Australia or Africa or someplace where there aren't any cities around. And he's just staring at this beautiful immensity of the sky and thousands of stars and galaxies out there. And what appears to be infinity. I mean, I, I can't imagine it not being infinite, but God's bigger than that. God created that all. And so we learn from this painting, we learn from this, that God is creative. We learn from this, that God's into beauty. He loves beauty. We learn from this, that God is bigger than anything we have yet begun to conceive of. We, we learn that God has this unfathomable power that he could create all of this. And I want you just to put yourself in that guy's position. And you're standing there. And, and, and you're staring at, at this this immense, beautiful skyscape. And that tells you something in and of itself. The very fact that you get to stand there and look at it. What's that tell you? It tells me God's good. He shares with us. He wants us to enjoy his beauty. And, and so we learn so much about God uh, just through creation. So this this is where the whole chapter starts, right there. But it goes on then... In uh, in the next verses, verses five and six, and he jumps to the sun in the heavens. So he set the stage: the heavens declare the glory of God, and then he says the heavens uh, perform this back, uh, create this backdrop for the sun, and the sun, like this bold, uh, joy filled man, charges up out of the east and he rides across the sky to the west, and and no part of the earth is not touched. By his warmth, by his power, by his by his life. So he talks about the, the stars, sky, and then the sun, who comes to us from the sky and brings us life. And he, he um, vitamin D. We get vitamin D from the sun. We we get um, we get um, the the whole process of uh, photosynthesis from the sun. So we have green plants. We get warmth from the sun, all of that is vital to life. But what he's doing here in all of this is just setting up his introduction of the word of God, okay? And that's why he just jumps right in. It just almost seems disjointed when you read about the sun. And then in verses seven and eight, the very next thing he says is, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Here's what he's doing. Just like God created the heavens to contain the sun, which gives us life. So the word of God comes from the true heaven and it gives us life. It gives us the life of God. So he starts off and he says here that the law and a better way to read that I think would be the ways of God. The the, the expression of God's ways to us, because that's what the law is. It's not like law that God laid down the law and and made up a bunch of capricious laws. Like, why do we have to drive 65 on this road when there's nobody else here? It's a flat highway, and I could go 80 as safely as I could go 65. You know, that's just a a, a rule that really, you know, you wonder why that rule is there. God doesn't make rules like that. It's not like him just imposing rules on us. What God has done in his law is express his life to us. It's, it's his ways. This is what he created us for. And so his word reveals to us his goodness by showing us what we are created to actually be like. And of course, it was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that when they turned away from God, they brought rebellion into the whole, into the whole planet. And, and none of us come by this naturally. None of us are born saying, I want to be like Jesus. I, you know, I, just, I want to learn about God's ways. We don't know God's ways. He, he has to reveal his ways to us. And so he's revealed himself to us through nature. And, and now he talks about revealing himself to, it, to us specifically through his word. And his word is like the sun. It gives us life. And this very thought, when he says it refreshes the soul, have you ever experienced a period of time... Um, where, where you've had three or four or five days of rain in a row. And, and you know, you start off feeling pretty good. You've had a, you had a couple of weeks of sun. And then next day, down a little, a little more, a little more. Pretty soon, everyone, everyone in the city is depressed because it's been raining for two weeks. What happens when you get up in the morning and you see the sun shining? And you think the rain's gone, the sun's here. It just refreshes your soul. People instantly come out of Depression. And they're, 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 they've given life. That's what he's saying the word of God is like. When we engage with God's word, God's ways, his revealed word to us through the Bible, God speaking to us directly in, in so many various ways, that lights our hearts up. It gives us life. And then he goes on and he speaks to these other, uh, he uses uh, synonyms for the word of God, statutes are trustworthy, makes wise the simple gives you wisdom. He says, precepts are right. So it brings joy to the heart. So God's word, God's revelation of his truth gives us joy, wisdom and joy. And, and then he says, light, it's radiant. It gives light to the eyes and we all need light. And when, when he speaks of light in this way, he's not speaking of physical light, but of revelation of God uncovering things for us to see that we couldn't see with our natural eyes. If you ever walked into your living room at night and you're looking for something, you can't find it, you can't find it, and, and then you turn a light on and right there it is. That's what revelation is. It was there all the time. You just couldn't see it. I know there are nights I've gotten up out of bed and I'm trying to find something and I can't find it. And I know it's on the desk here somewhere. So I'll get a flashlight and cover it with my hand and turn it on just so one little stream of light is allowed to come out and look, revelation. Right there it is. I touched it three times and I didn't know it. Listen, there is truth from God that you and I can see and we can read and I I can technically put the pieces together, but I don't really see it. It it takes the Holy Spirit to show it to us so that we see it in this new, amazing way, this new, amazing light. Have you ever seen a show or maybe you've experienced this where you've had a friend of the opposite sex that you guys were just friends and you hung out together and enjoyed each other? And then one day, um, if you're a guy, you looked at her and you thought, huh, she's a pretty nice looking girl. Or, Or you looked at the girl, looked at him and thought, wow. You know, I've never seen him this way before, but I'm starting to look at him. It's kind of like that, but a whole lot more than that. It's revelation. It's like you see something that you didn't see before, and it's because the Holy Spirit shows it to you. And so that's what God's Word does for us. Now, he takes it further in verses 9 through 11 when he says, he, he talks about, the word of God being more precious than gold. He says two main things here that I want to look at. There's a lot in these verses. We can't look at all of them. But he says the word of God is more precious than gold. And then he says it's sweeter than honey. And so more precious than gold. What does gold do for us? Why do, why do people... Would you like gold? If I said we're giving away free five-gallon buckets of gold coins, man, I'd be all over that. If I, I mean, I'd be at the head of the line or... Because gold is a good thing, it's not a bad thing. But it is not just because it's shiny and pretty, it's because it's valued, it's valuable. And so it represents not only possessions, houses, clothes, cars, etc., it represents security in a worldly sort of way in this world. And by worldly I don't mean sinful, but I just mean in the in the physical world. It represents security. But what what the writer here is saying is, he's saying, no, no, no. If you want real security, it comes through hearing, listening to, getting revelation, and understanding into God's word and living by it. That is what gives your life security, not gold, because gold's fleeting. Book of Proverbs says, wealth can take sprout wings and fly away in a moment's notice and it's gone. But God's word is eternal. And a life before God, a life shaped by God's truth is stable and solid, it will last. And so God's word gives us security and then he says it's sweeter than honey. And and this whole idea of the sweetness of honey speaks to all of the pleasures of life. Speaks to all the pleasures of life. If you think that um, ice cream is good, try Jesus. Try, try the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the living word. And so if you think ice cream Sundays are good or if you think that um, cotton candy or... Uh, Snickers bars or whatever, whatever is sweet to your taste. If you think that this enjoyable thing that you get to engage in is the meaning of life and and is the great joy of life, then this passage is telling us there's something better. There's something better. It's Jesus. It's God's revealed truth. That's better. And so uh, this is also important because as we move on into the next section, he starts to tell us how it is that we, as, as followers of Jesus, yet followers who fail, how do we relate to the word of God? How, is our, what, what, how should we relate to the word of God? And, and again, I think a lot of Christians relate to the word of God as here the word of God says I should be doing this and I shouldn't be doing that and, um, and, and, and on and on. And boy, I fail every day. Every day I falter and I fail. So I guess I'm a failure because I'm not living up to that. And when we live that way, thinking that, those thoughts, then we live with condemnation. And we don't have clear consciences. Because I feel like I'm faltering. I feel like I'm failing. And I feel like I've failed God down again. I've let God down again. I almost made it today without without, uh, you know, doing anything wrong or without getting angry or without lusting or without going into this daydream that I have or whatever it might be. And and now I failed again. So I'm a failure. And so, so we live with this sense of condemnation. And by the way, the condemnation, that voice in the back of your mind that says loser, that says you've done it again, that says there's no hope for you. I got to tell you most of the time, that's not you. It sounds like you because when Satan speaks into our minds, he speaks in a voice that sounds just like my inner voice. And so I'm thinking, wow, loser. I'm a loser. I, I, that must, that sounds like me. So yeah, I guess I'm right. I'm telling myself I'm a loser, but really so much of the time it's the enemy just speaking that into our minds and speaking condemnation to us. We have to reject that. But, um, but we, we, live without, we live without clarity of conscience, and we don't live blameless, in other words. So how can I have this blameless heart? What does God mean by blameless? That's what we want to get to. What does God mean when he says, have a blameless heart? And here's what we see. There are two things in these two verses that are really crucial. The first one is this. He says, this is in verse 12, who can discern their own errors? Who can discern their own errors? And then he goes on to say, forgive my hidden faults. So he starts off saying this, what human being knows themselves so well and knows their own heart so well and knows God's truth and God's word so well that they know all the things in their heart and in their life that don't match up to God's word and God's truth. Who who, who knows themselves so well or has such insight that they understand all of their own hidden sins, hidden flaws, hidden faults? And the truth is none of us do. The truth is that we all have things that are based upon wrong belief systems that we picked up at home. Like you might feel totally justified for being angry for the rest of the day at one of your coworkers because they disrespected you. Because you learned where you grew up that you can't let people disrespect you. You've got to stand up for yourself. And so you hold on to a grudge against that person, justifying it based upon that wrong belief. But you don't know it's a wrong belief. You think it's truth. And so you don't even know that that is violating what, how God created us to be. He didn't create us to hold on to grudges. That's sin. You know, sin is simply a failure to live up to what God created us to be. That's what sin is. And so we all have areas in our hearts like that, wounds, pains, wrong belief systems that, um, that, that we don't even know are there. Now, you, you ask the question, well, how should I deal with that? Well, doggone it, now that I know that stuff's there, I'm going to root it out. I'm going to find every last vestige of it so I can be perfect. Well, I got to tell you that last phrase, so I can be perfect, tells us something about your misunderstanding, your perfection is in christ he made you perfect you are perfect you don't have to become perfect just because you mess up doesn't mean that you're not righteous because you have christ's righteousness now the thing is that if you try to try to dive in deep and find every flaw in your thinking and every hidden fault within you what's going to happen is you're going to get stuck in this quagmire of confusion And and you're, you're, you're just, it's going to, it's going to have a real negative effect on your heart, your conscience, and your life. Good friend of mine, Bill Jackson, who is now with the Lord, but, um, Jack's used this illustration of someone going across a lake in a sailboat and you've been given instructions to sail to the other side of the lake. And yet at the bottom of the lake, there are these balloons tied and each of the balloons represent a hidden fault in your life some hidden secret system, thinking that, you, that, that is wrong that you have or some other hidden sin that you don't even know is a sin. And, and it's, it's all down there. And Jack said, what a lot of people want to do is throw an anchor out, stop the boat in the middle of the lake, swim to the bottom of the lake and try to find all the balloons. And that when you do that, all you do is stir the muck up on the bottom of that lake. And you end up in, in this clouded, confused state And you get trapped searching for this stuff, whereas it's not God's will that you search it out. In fact, the psalmist in 139, there he says, you search me, God. And at the right time, you reveal to me what is there. And so what Jack said was, our job is to sail that boat across the lake. God's job is to cut the balloons at the right time. And so when I see a balloon pop to the surface... That's God that brought it to the surface. That's when I throw out an anchor. I don't dive to the bottom of the lake. The balloon's right there, and I deal with it. Okay, so hidden faults are not something that we need to try to dredge up. What he tells us here goes uh, perfectly, I think, with everything Jack's shared. And and that is, you know, how do we respond to these hidden faults, these hidden errors? Well, here's what we do. Forgive my hidden faults, O Lord. (laughs) Just right there. God, forgive them. Forgive them. And, and And forgiveness has the concept of release as well, so release my hidden false God, forgive them. And, and then you tie in Psalm 139, and God, in your timing, show me. When it 's the right time, show me one, and then I'll deal it I 'll deal with it. I'll bring it before you, and we 'll deal with it. And so there is this sense of the fact that we all have hidden flaws. And so what he 's going to tell us here in a moment is how to be blameless. But having hidden flaws does not make you not blameless. It does not keep you from being blameless. Get that? Okay, we all have hidden faults. He says that right here. And later, he's going to tell us that we can be blameless in spite of the hidden faults. And the way we're blameless in spite of the hidden faults is, with the hidden faults, it's just having an open heart to God, saying, God, I know they're there. Wow, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me, that they're all forgiven. And God, in your timing, show me what they are so that we can deal with them, so I can grow and mature. That's how we handle the hidden faults. And if we do them that way, then we can we can be blameless. We can have a good conscience, a clean conscience. And so you go on to the next verse, and he takes it a step further, and he talks about another kind of sin. And in this, this other kind of sin, he says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. So willful sins, there are hidden sins. Now get this, I didn't say this before, but I will make this clear. Hidden sins doesn't mean sins I've hidden. It means sins that are hidden from me. Stuff that I can't see because I haven't matured to the point that I can see it yet or God hasn't revealed it to me. And so there, there are these hidden faults that we all, we all have that God reveals. And when he reveals it, then it becomes a known flaw, a known fault, and I have to deal with it. But this then, he's talking about, he calls it willful sin. In the Old Testament, there was one type of sin they called high-handed sin. Dealt with very severely. But a high-handed sin, here's how I picture it. God, I know what you want me to do, but I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. There's a raising a fist into the face of God saying, I'm my own person, don't you try to boss me around. That's a high-handed sin. It's a, it's a willful sin. It's a knowledgeable sin. I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't stay in this place. But doggone being depressed right now is more comfortable than battling my way out of it and facing my responsibilities. Or being angry right now I, I'm, I, I, deserve to be angry right now. I have been misused. I've been abused and I, I have a, the right to be angry and hold this grudge against this person. That is a willful sin. Now, if it's based upon wrong thinking, then it's, it, it could be kind of like a hidden sin. And I don't want to confuse those two because I use the same illustration, but a willful sin is when I know it's wrong and, and I do it anyway. And so he says this. He said, For willful sins, don't let them control me. Oh, God. So with the hidden sins, hidden flaws, things I don't even know I'm doing that are wrong, with that, it is, God, forgive me, and in your timing, show me. With a willful sin, a high-handed sin, an intentional sin, it is, oh, God, don't let this control me. Don't let this gain control of my life. So... There's the difference between a, a moment of anger and being an angry person. You can have a moment of anger uh, where you 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 realize I shouldn't be angry right now. You repent of it and it's over. And, and 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 the way you deal with that is, oh God, don't let this gain don't let this gain a foothold in my life. Don't let this gain control of my life. And so, if I have that hard attitude before God with willful sin, then I'm able to walk in what he calls blamelessness here. And he says, if if that's the case, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Are you following me on this? Do you get this? That there is hidden sin. We all have it. And so we're not going to reach perfection other than through Jesus and his righteousness. But in my practice, there's hidden sin. I want to know God, show me so I can repent of it, but it's, it's, it's his responsibility to reveal that to me. But then there is willful sin where I'm going to sleep with my boyfriend anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to take this money anyway. I, I know it's wrong. There's willful sin. And when it is willful sin, the response, the heart response to that is, Oh God, Thank you that, that you did die, Jesus, so this could be forgiven, so it is forgiven. And don't let this grip my life. Don't let this take hold of my life. And so when when I live with those hard attitudes, then I'm blameless. And even though I falter, even though I sin and I don't even know it in hidden faults, or even though I, I sin willfully and knowingly, I'm still, I'm still walking in a blameless way. There was a king named Asa in the Old Testament, who was a young man, um, faced a great challenge. An army invaded, and he didn't have enough men to go out against the army, but he did anyway, and he trusted God, and they had a great victory. So 25 years later, Asa faces this invading force coming in, and at this point, instead of calling upon God, Asa hired mercenaries from a neighboring country, because now he has the resources, he doesn't need to trust God. Okay, So he hires this other army to come in and fight. Well, God sends a prophet to Asa. And he says, Asa, what's wrong with you? You trusted God before and he gave you victory. Why aren't you trusting him now? Don't you know God was ready and eager to stand up for you, but you didn't trust him? You know what Asa does with that prophet? Throws him in prison. And then later, uh, Asa does some other, makes some other big blunders. But do you know what the Bible says about Asa at the end of his life? says he was a good king, and he was blameless all of his days. In spite of the fact that he screwed up royally, he was blameless all of his days. And that's because what God's looking at is the trajectory of our lives, not the perfection. It's not perfection, it's trajectory. And and that doesn't excuse me wallowing in sin. Make sure you know that. But for Asa, his life was headed a certain direction. And and although he, it, so we're headed this direction on this path, and I go down the path of ways and something shiny catches my attention, and, and I get off the path, and I get lost for a little bit, but I thought, whoa, whoa, I get back on the path, got to catch up with my group, I get back on the path and keep going. And then something else happens, I get tripped up, or I just stumble off the path, I'm not paying attention, and, and I come back on, and my life is headed that direction. That's what God's looking at, he's looking at a life where the heart is saying, God, I know there's hidden sin, just this open heart and God speak to me and we'll deal with it. And that same heart then says, Oh God, I, I I knew better than to do that. And thank you for forgiving me. And don't let that grip my life. Don't let that take hold of me. And, but I'm keeping on that path. That's what God's looking for. And that's what blamelessness is. And that's how we can live with a good conscience. And that's how we can live with a free conscience. Now, um, I had a, a thing happen a few years ago when we were building this building, in fact, that uh, we had a lot of meetings, had a great team, wonderful team, we got along perfectly, and, um, but we had a lot of meetings. And one night we had this long meeting, I got home about 11 and I, I went, probably, I think I got to bed about 11, probably got home at 10 after hours of a meeting and my mind's wired and I can't sleep and I'm lying in bed and all of a sudden it's 12 o'clock. And I'm thinking, oh, man, i got to get up. I have a meeting at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. I need to hurry up and get to sleep. Well, you know, doing that doesn't help. Anxiety does not help you sleep. So then it's 2 o'clock, and I'm thinking, I haven't slept a wink. And, and I lie there, and it's 3 o'clock. And I have not, don't, don't try to tell me, you slept, you didn't know it. I've had nights like that. This was a night where I was awake literally all night. 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I finally doze off. And I have this godly wife who gets up in the morning and prays and reads the Bible. And Lori got up not long after that. And I was sleeping so lightly that I woke up. And Lori goes downstairs to read the Bible and have her devotions. And I walked into the bathroom. And I looked at the wall and I thought, oh, I'm so frustrated. I just feel like punching that wall. And I thought, it's only drywall. I can repair it. And before I had finished that thought, I drove a punch into the wall. Not, not a light punch. I didn't do the guy thing of punching something and pulling the punch. I drove a punch into the wall and I hit a stud. If I had hit between the studs, I would have put a fist-sized hole in the wall. I mean, I was punching six inches beyond the wall. And and I instantly broke knew I'd broken my hand. I instantly thought, oh my gosh, what's mine going to do? Uh, everyone in the church is going to know I'm an idiot now. It's going to be validated. They all suspected it. They'll never know it will ever come back again. What's wrong with me? And, and so I devised this whole plan. I'll just carry a cup of coffee with me everywhere. And that way, hey, I'd shake your hand, but I got this coffee. Or I'd just keep my hand in my pocket and just kind of like act a little bit dull when people you know want to shake hands. And um, through a chain of events, God spoke to me that week and said, you can't hide this. You, have to, you just can't hide it. And which was good. But um, so I shared it with the church that week. And to my amazement, um, you know, I, it just so many people came up and said, thank you for that. I, you know, I've, I've done the same thing and I've struggled with guilt over that for so long or, or whatever. But here's the thing. When I tell the story, I always end it by saying, now if I, sh- I had a cast on my hand. Actually, I insisted they put a removable cast on in case I decided at the last minute not to tell the church. <laughs> I paid the price for that, too, because I rebroke my finger later. But um, um, where was I? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I, I'd, I'd say, I still say this. Now, if I show up next week, I have this cast in my hand. If I show up next week with a cast on my foot because I got mad at the dog and kicked the dog and broke my foot, and the week after that, I show up with my left arm all wrapped up because I smashed a glass on the table in anger, then I've got a problem. And and, and that morning, I was frustrated, and, and that frustration and anger are pretty darn close. I've hesitated to say I was angry, but I was angry and frustrated, don't know who I was angry at, but... Um, uh, it, there's a difference between blowing it, making a dumb mistake, doing something you shouldn't have done. It was sin when I did that. I, I didn't need to live in that type of anxiety, but, you know, sin is failing to live up to everything God created us to be. And, and yet, that did not grip me. I didn't, I didn't suddenly become a wall-punching guy. I didn't become the guy who throws stuff across the room. And, and goes off into tirades of anger at a moment's notice. See, that's the difference between sinning willfully and then being controlled by willful sin. Okay? There's a difference there. And for any who are controlled by a willful sin, you can be set free. Okay? Whatever it might be. Whether it's pornography, some other addiction, or whatever it might be. Anger. You can be set free. And that's the good news. And the way that happens is revelation from God. When you see Jesus, Jesus says that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. In another place, the Bible says Jesus is the truth. He is the word of God. He didn't mean by that that he was a catalog of facts, like there's this encyclopedia called Jesus. And if you just get that, no, it's knowing him having revealed to you who he is so that you can enter into a real living relationship with him. That's what revelation... It's, it's seeing the difference between death and life. It's seeing, okay, this thing that has trapped me, this thing that I, that I can't get out of is death. But over here is life. It's better than gold. It's sweeter than honey. They're all telling me that, but I'm stuck Here. And it's not just a matter of being saying, oh, I'm stuck here. Oh God, get me out of this. Someone's gonna, no, the way it happens is I see this. I see the honey. I see the gold. and, And God gives me revelation into that. And I see the sweetness of knowing Jesus. And I see the beauty of knowing Jesus and the value of knowing Jesus. And then I let go of this so I could take hold of that. I let go of that so I could take hold of Jesus. And that's how addictions are broken, and that's how we walk in freedom. There's a story I got uh, just this week. I had a, um, a, a brother from the church send me this note, and with his permission, I read parts of it to you. After introducing himself, he said, I stopped at the racetrack. Yeah, this is a powerful story, so listen carefully to this. He says, I stopped at the racetrack one time. On my way back home from a business trip, I turned $24 into $600 plus. Wow, that sounds like honey and gold, doesn't it? I was from that point on a gambling addict. I lost everything twice. I tried unsuccessfully twice to take my own life. I think that was a sign that I had a purpose. I spent 30 plus days in a special rehab for gamblers, still could not quit. Then my daughter invited me to Vineyard Northwest. I was uncomfortable at first, but kept coming. Finally, I turned my life over to Jesus. I will never forget the first time I felt the Holy Spirit flow through me. Wow, that's it right there, revelation of who God is. I love it every time it happens. I love it. I thank Jesus and Vineyard Northwest for helping Jesus and me to connect hands. I no longer have a hard time resisting gambling. I have been living on my own. The burden has been lifted. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Wow. So, freedom. There is freedom. You can have freedom today we're going to move into our worship time and we're going to take communion today. And uh, what I want to share with you as we prepare for communion, the servers are going to go to the back and the worship team is going to be coming out behind me. But I I had this insight and I would call this a revelation because it's something I've read a hundred times at least and never saw this before. But in Luke 24, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to two men, two of his disciples, and they walk along this road called the Emmaus Road and they talk the whole time, but they did not recognize Jesus. It says their eyes were darkened so they couldn't recognize him. And so they have this wonderful conversation and at the end, they sit down to have dinner together and it says Jesus broke bread and began giving it to them and at that moment, their eyes were opened and they saw that it was Jesus. Now, I don't think that, that, that it was that Jesus broke bread this certain way or that he had this certain look on his face when he broke the bread and they thought, oh, yeah, only Jesus breaks bread that way. That must be Jesus. What happened in the breaking of that bread, which is Jesus' body, in the way it's described there that he was giving it to them, I think it's, it's referring more to him presenting them communion when, when that bread was broken, there was revelation that was released, revelation into the things of God. And, and so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take a piece of bread, and before we, before we share in you know, communion, I'm going to tear it into, in a, in a moment, a prophetic act that I believe is going to release freedom to many of us here today. And when you touch that little, that little piece of wafer, that cracker, that bread, that unleavened bread, remember that is a touch point with Jesus. It's not Jesus in the literal sense of who he is. Remember the, the woman that touched his cloak and she was healed? Well, the cloak wasn't Jesus, but the cloak was a touch point with Jesus. And so when Jesus says, yeah, this is my body, it's given for you for your healing and your wholeness and your life, then when we come to it in faith as a touch point with Jesus, his power and life are released. And so I'm going I'm to take this. And I'm going to say, Jesus, um, thank you that you gave your body for us. Thank you that you gave us this remembrance and that there's power in this event when we remember you. Thank you, Jesus, that you broke that bread that day on the Emmaus Road, and you you released revelation. And so now, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and bring your revelation to us. And if you need revelation to know God better, just, just close your eyes, hold your hands, out, and ask him for it. Just come, Jesus, come. Release revelation. Release your revelation of who you are in Jesus' name. Now, the servers are gonna make their ways to the front, and um, worship band's gonna start playing. And you're welcome to come and participate this if you know Jesus. If you, want, if you don't know Jesus, but you're saying, I want to accept Jesus, this is a great way. Man, what, what a great, just to say, by taking communion right now, I, I'm, I, it's not the bread and the juice, it, the wine. It is what I'm saying. This is my statement of faith. I'm receiving Jesus. Come and do that. And um, once this is over, then you can come to the front to worship. And uh, Father God, just bless now, just bless, bless this time as we turn in our hearts to worship you, to worship Jesus, Holy Spirit. Come here and stir worship of the triune God in our hearts. Amen. us freedom, you give us freedom, it's, it's free from you. Thank you that you paid the price, thank you. Micah, one of our staff pastors, um, had a vision this morning that I wanted him to share
1: with you, so Mike is going to come up right now. Hello everybody. <laughs> Hi. So yes, this morning, um, I, when I woke up this morning, I saw Jesus uh, stand at the foot of my bed. And Jesus is alive and he's beautiful and he's radiant and full of light. His face is shining. uh, Light is coming out of his hands, out of his heart. He's just full of light. And this is what he spoke to me. He said, Come to me, give me your troubles, and I will give you light. I'm going to say it again. He said, Come to me, give me your troubles. And I will give you light. You get to make the exchange. You get to trade in darkness, your worries, restlessness, depression, all that stuff. And you get to get, get his light. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. So I'm going to just yeah. pray and release that to you. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your children. And Lord, I just, I just release into them the light of God, the presence of God, the joy of God, the rest of God, the peace of God right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks, my God. All right.
0: So I'm going to ask our prayer teams to make their way down right now. If, uh, if you're here and you're, you are trapped in something, it's one of those willful things that became just a regular part of your life and you can't get out of it, we want to pray for you today. We want to pray freedom, and we want to pray that there will be revelation of the sweetness and the beauty of Jesus so that you can let go of that in order to take hold of Him. And if, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, if you've never invited Him into your life, Come down, tell the prayer team, I want Jesus in my life, and they'll help you. They'll help you connect with Him in a real, living way. Okay, any healing needs we have, uh, come down. Let us pray for your physical healing as well. If anything else you need prayer for, please come down. Okay, so uh, it's it's so good to see you. I, I want to say this: if this is your first time here, and and you're thinking, wow, you know, like like the guy in the letter that I wrote earlier, I'm not totally comfortable with this because it's different than what you've experienced. Maybe you come from a more formal background or just a, a less, um, a, a less um, vocal background or a less uh, excited background. Whichever it might be, my encouragement to you would be come at least three times before you try to figure out what God's doing here, okay? And so I'd just invite you back two more times. And then if this isn't for you, then God bless you. Go where God's going to lead you to be. But um, I'd encourage you to come back a couple more times before you decide that. All right, blessings on you all. Great to see you. Come up for prayer. We'll see you next week.